A vicar once asked the Duke of Wellington what his sermon should be about, and the Duke responded, about ten minutes. I asked the Dean the same question he said about the Gospel. I think both answers have merit. If you agree, say Amen. Amen. Not bad for some Anglicans at 8 a.m. in the morning. In today's passage from Acts chapter 8, we are rewound back 2,000 years to the start of the church. And we are told, as we just heard, in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, that a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And then in verse 4, we are told, Now those who were scattered went from place to place, preaching the word. And then in verse 8, we were told, There was great joy. So let's put that together. Persecution led to scattering, which led to preaching, which led to joy. Repeat after me. Persecution led to scattering, which led to preaching, which led to joy. That's not exactly worldly math, is it? A success by worldly standards. Anthony Trollope, the English novelist, once wrote, There is perhaps no greater hardship at present inflicted on mankind in civilized and free countries than the necessity of listening to sermons. In the face of persecution, early church scattered. And today, persecution remains rampant against our brothers and sisters in the majority world. In our Western context, we are starting to see little flickers, little blips of more serious persecution. And maybe, perhaps, in coming years, we will start to get a little taste, just a little taste of what our sisters and brothers in Africa and Asia and other places have had to endure for a long time. But I would submit that the greater share of persecution that we face in the West is not outright aggression, the new atheists notwithstanding, but from our wider society a sort of total who cares indifference. Religion? Eh. Jesus? Eh. He's a nice guy. And on the end of this rising tide of indifference, there are little blips of positivism and negativism, but the tide of indifference is growing. And I would submit to you that in some ways, underlying some with a red pen, this indifference is more insidious to the life of the church than outright aggression. Now, you and I, in the face of this rising tide of indifference, can remain gathered in our church buildings and our programs. But in this increasingly post-Christian society, for the gospel to thrive, we will have to scatter ourselves beyond buildings, beyond programs, and beyond our personal comfort. Question. Had the early church remained entirely gathered in Jerusalem, do you think we would be here this morning? Maybe. And will the 21st century church thrive, especially in the West, if we remain in our holy huddles? When the early church scattered, they preached. Yes, we must stand with the poor. Yes, we must stand with those who suffer. Yes, we must cry out against injustice. Yes, we must take better care of our environment. But soaking to the bone 
of everything we do, including everything I just said. Soaking to the very bone must be the gospel basics. The life and teachings and the death of resurrection of Jesus Christ. That must soak everything we do. Amen? Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say everything. Now the early Christians did not limit themselves to preaching from the pulpit. To gather times of community worship. And so if you and I only preach from the pulpit, we will have failed to be faithful as preachers, as priests, as disciples of Jesus. One summer when I was studying here, a certain Neshota House Seminaria, a Master Divinity student, asked me to join him in preaching at the farmer's market on the grounds of the state capitol in Madison. Now I will confess to my shame that the only reason I went with that seminary is because I was a Dominican, and I thought it would be embarrassing for me to say no to an invitation to street preach. <laughs> However, that seminary, he was the one who had the right idea to scatter seed beyond the boundaries of our programs and our buildings. I had grown far too comfortable with our usual gathered, churchy ways of proclamation. Have you? We must make use of every possible means to proclaim, including one of the most powerful, which is what I call personal preaching, preaching from one person to another. And if you are not fluent in personal preaching, how will you teach your people to be? And if they do not become fluent in the language of faith, how will the gospel thrive in our increasingly secular society? The early church preached there was joy. Often the greatest joy in our congregations when it comes to preaching is when the sermon is over. Don't worry, we're almost there. Pope Francis has become enormously popular and influential, and I'm sure you've had many discussions about why that is the case. But certainly one of them is his joy. It is difficult to preach about the love of God, the warmth of Christ, and the enthusiasm of the Holy Spirit with a scowl on your face. But some preachers succeed quite ably. More troubling, and perhaps a greater temptation for us Anglicans, is for those who preach the very words of life, with casual indifference. So, to review, persecution led to scattering, which led to preaching, which led to joy. Let's repeat that. Persecution led to scattering, which led to preaching, which led to joy. The founders of Neshota House did not remain gathered in the east, but scattered themselves out into the pioneering west to preach the gospel. So treasure your time gathered here. It is indeed an immense gift. But look with relish, look with excitement to that day that you will be scattered across the world to preach the gospel, the life and teachings, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And until that day, in the meantime, use every edu educational visit, every parish Eucharist, and every run to the grocery store as opportunities to sow seed for the gospel. And that, my sisters and brothers, you will find great joy. Amen.